The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And today, continuing this thread of the exploration of the four foundations of mindfulness, the instructions basically that the Buddha offered, some of the key meditation instructions that the Buddha offered to cultivate mindfulness are collected in this sutta. It's not quite clear whether the Buddha actually gave the sutta as one discourse or not. There are different views on that, different perspectives on that. But they are collected in the in the this sutta in the middle length discourses. The, 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 the instructions are, of mindfulness are collected. And I'm going to just offer a little bit of, today I want to just mostly offer a kind of an overview of the third foundation, my kind of takeaways on the third foundation. And then in the, in the next few weeks, offering a little more diving into particular aspects of it. Um, but first I want to just speak kind of more generally about how we can see the Satipatthana Sutta as a whole, the Buddha's instructions on the four foundations of mindfulness. Four establishments of mindfulness, another way to translate that word Satipatthana. Sati meaning mindfulness and the patana part having various uh, um, uh, kind of uh, translations, let's say. It sometimes means foundation or something you stand on. Standing with uh, is another way to translate it. Um, so mindfulness standing with is another way to look at it. Um, establishing or kind of setting up a setting that it can be not so much the foundation itself, but the setting up of, so the establishing of the, uh, the, this, this state of mindfulness. And so there's a lot of exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta. Each of the foundations has different uh, instructions. The foundation of mindfulness of the body has a number of different ways into exploring present a moment awareness with the body. Mindfulness of feeling, instructions on how to be aware of that simple aspect of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Mindfulness of mind is more this one way to look at it is this kind of looking at the quality or the flavor of the mind that is observing that I kind of pointed to in the guided meditation that as we observe something, something's arising here, a sound, a sight, a body sensation. And then there's a, there can be a flavor in the mind that likes it, that doesn't like it, that's at ease with it, that's confused about it. So there's, uh, there's that quality in the mind in relationship to what's happening. And this is uh, kind of one way to understand the third foundation, different aspects of exploring that. And the fourth foundation uh, having, I think it's uh, seven different um, areas of exploration around different teachings that the Buddha offered, kind of understanding our experience through a Dharma framework, we could say that fourth foundation. And all of these different exercises, each exercise, actually, each mindfulness exercise can kind of be understood from different ways. It might be understood as a kind of a, a, 
kind of an instruction, okay, pay attention to this now. And some people look at the Satipatthana Sutta as a whole, as a kind of a, a, a staged deepening of exploration in different areas of experience, starting with the body, the body being the most obvious kind of experience. So an easy way in to connecting with experience and then feeling tone, um, kind of being a bridge between body and mind because there's feeling tone associated with physical experience and with mental experience. Feeling tone itself being a mental experience, but we have connection with the sense of uh, feeling tone being um, that, that there is a feeling associated with our physical experience as well. So the, the feeling tone kind of being a little bit of a subtler exploration. We might start with body and then kind of attune to the feeling of the, uh, the feeling tone in the body. And that being a bridge into noticing that there are feeling tones in the mind as well. So that's a, you know, kind of a deepening of that. And then the third foundation, looking at the quality of the mind, how the mind is in relationship to experience. So it, the, the, the whole of the four foundations of mindfulness can be looked at as kind of start with the body, then, you know, then, then once you've got that kind of settled, then you can attune to the feeling tones of experience and then get a little bit more interested in how the mind is, etc. So it can kind of be looked at in that way of a deepening set of practices. Um, can also be looked at as a whole um, in terms of different ways to establish mindfulness. You could establish mindfulness through being connected with body, or for some people it might be easier to establish mindfulness being connected to mental experience. So it might be looked at as disparate kind of exercises where you can direct attention to various areas of experience, um, depending on what is more natural for you, perhaps. So body, perhaps, may be a, an easy place to kind of land, starting there, directing attention to the body. Or for some, I, I know, um, you know, uh, some people found it much easier in their early practice to, uh, to be aware of what was going on in the mind. And so, you know, not having to start with the body necessarily, but just establishing mindfulness with what was going on in the mind. And so the, they could be looked at not necessarily as, okay, first having to do the body and then move on to the next one, but just looking kind of more at, well, what, where is it easy for you to connect and connect there and giving a little bit of instruction on how to connect in that, that sphere. Another way, though, to look at the, um, the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta is not so much as um, um, direct your attention to this area of experience. You know, here there, there are, you know, instructions that say, you know, um, in, the, um, in the foundation of feeling, for instance, the instructions are are more kind of um, receptive in a way. They say, when one is experiencing a pleasant feeling, one knows one is experiencing a pleasant feeling. That's the kind of the instruction there. It doesn't say, look for experience that's pleasant and then be aware of it. It just kind of says, notice what's happening and, and recognize it from this perspective. So what's happening right now, there's pleasant, there's unpleasant, there's neutral. Like what's happening right now? Is it pleasant? Know that it's pleasant. 
Is it unpleasant? Know that it's unpleasant. And the foundation of the mind is very similar to that. The, the language there is when, I'll read a section of it. One understands a mind affected by greed is a mind affected by greed. And one understands a mind unaffected by greed as a mind unaffected by greed. So again, it's got that flavor of just what's happening and knowing that. Um, so these instructions in the Satipatthana can be looked at as, you know, you might, you might kind of explore um, for a time. Um, okay, I'm going to choose to kind of attune to an area. Like I'm going to attune to the area of feeling and just not pay attention to um, physical sensation in per se right now, but just more what the feeling tone is. So not so much attending to the bodily experience, but more the feeling tone, which may be associated with bodily sensation, but may also be associated with mental sensation. So the, um, the exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta can be looked at another kind of way to kind of um, talk about them is either as kind of instructions of pay attention to this now, or as more descriptions of what of things you might notice when you open to your experience. So I don't think we have to look at one or the other of these perspectives as being right. But just that I really feel that these instructions um, offer a variety of ways for people to attune to being present. And in some ways, the ambiguity there can be supportive for us because all mind, minds, every mind is different in terms of how it, um, how it relates to experience. And for some minds, it's easier to choose to pick something to be attentive to. You know, for some minds, that's a kind of a way in. And for other minds, it's much easier to kind of settle back and, and not have to kind of hold the attention on a particular area. So often in, um, in meditation practice, when I'm speaking to people about their practice, I will say, with meditation, go with what's easiest and most natural for you. Start with, with your easy doorway in. That that is the place to begin to cultivate mindfulness for you. So if it's easier for you to be with uh, one experience like the breath, to start, start there. If it's easier, and easier doesn't necessarily mean always more continuous, but, but kind of more that the mind is more relaxed and um, uh, available to know what's happening. So, uh, so I think these instructions can be um, really tuned in a way to each person individually. And it's really up to us to understand and to know what is helpful. This third foundation um, that I wanna to speak to today a little bit more, I think really does help us to kind of hone, hone in on that, what is helpful? Because it does point to this um, a kind of, how are we in relationship to experience? Um, the, the third foundation is um, looking at 
is greed, aversion, delusion, delusion present or absent in the mind? And so that kind of beginning to become aware, and we talked a little bit about greed, aversion, and delusion last week, just in a very kind of over, uh, overall way, um, um, that that kind of familiarity of how the mind, whether the mind has kind of that kind of contracted or kind of that uh, tight quality, a wanting something, a reactive quality to what's happening. I need to hold on to this. I need to push this away. The wanting to hold on being the greed, the wanting to push it away being aversion or some idea or belief around what's happening. It should be this way. It shouldn't be this way. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. You know, those kinds of um, um, uh, kind of ideas or, or views, not necessarily that the ideas or views are, are um, uh, unhelpful. Sometimes views can be very helpful, but when we don't know they are views, that's the place where it begins to slip into delusion. And so the, um, the uh, kind of being aware of the quality in the mind helps us to begin to understand so that, you know, this kind of uh, difference in the mind, when the mind is affected by greed, aversion, delusion, when it's not affected by greed, aversion, delusion, beginning to get familiar with that difference, so helpful for us. We begin to understand when the mind is kind of more trustable, when the mind is more able to uh, uh, meet experience without reactivity, there's, um, you know, that, that, that the, the teachings point us to that being the way towards freedom from suffering, to ease of heart and mind. And it's very clear when we notice that difference, when we begin to recognize the difference between a mind that's affected by greed and the mind that's not affected by greed, the mind affected by aversion, the mind not affected by aversion. It's really clear when we notice that, that the mind affected by greed and aversion is a mind that is experiencing suffering right then and there. And the mind that is not affected by, not, by greed and not affected by aversion, that mind is... Um, there is an ease and a peace there. There's a, a kind of a space. There's space to reflect on what's happening from a perspective of wisdom, from a perspective of compassion, from a perspective of connection rather than rejection. So the, this, uh, this third foundation, and it begins to point us to this um, understanding what's helpful and what's not helpful in terms of the mind moving in the direction of ease and peace. It's, it's that lens that the Buddha really, um, that was his own question really, is, what, what, is it possible for us to be free from suffering? And the, the suffering, when he looked into his own mind and explored this, what, what does it mean for a mind to suffer? He found these qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion to be completely tied up 
connected with that experience of suffering. He, he um, pointed to um, you know, that, in, and in some places he said, um, pleasant experience, unpleasant experience, those are gonna happen. We often think of pleasant experiences not suffering and unpleasant experiences suffering, but the Buddha created a distinction there. He said, pleasant, unpleasant, those can happen. We do not have to suffer if pleasant experience is slipping away. We do not have to suffer if unpleasant experience is arising. The relationship in the mind, how the mind is in relationship to that experience, that's where we will suffer or not. And so this third foundation kind of points us to begin to understand what is it in the mind? What does it feel like when the mind has more space? What does it feel like when the mind is not con con contracted around wanting things to be a different way? And what does it feel like when it is contracted? Um, so this, um, this third foundation has two kind of sections to it. This first section talking about the presence and absence of greed, aversion, delusion, just, just really simply, one understands a mind affected by greed is a mind affected by greed. One understands a mind affected by aversion is a mind affected by aversion. In this sutta, actually largely in the, in the teaching um, of the four foundations of mindfulness, it is a pointing to just noticing what's happening rather than trying to change what's happening. So there's not an instruction in here, for instance. It says, when greed is arising, we understand that greed is arising. It doesn't offer in this sutta, in other places in the, in the um, text, it does offer other things you might do if the mind is kind of being pulled into uh, to its reactivity. But in this sutta, it just simply points to awareness. It doesn't give antidotes in this sutta. So it doesn't say when the mind is affected by greed, here's what you do to get rid of it. It says when the mind is affected by greed, you understand that it's affected by greed. So that's a little doing there. You know, it's a little doing. That understanding is a different way of meeting greed arising in the mind. Normally when something like greed is arising in the mind, that greed is motivating us to take action based on what it desires. So there's something happening, some experience or some sensation or some, something happening in the world that we like, that we want, that we want to hold on to, that we want to continue. And that um, uh, that's often what the motivation of greed happens. So usually, or before we get this kind of teaching, what our mind does when it's affected by greed is it follows the beliefs of greed, which is, I need to get that thing in order to be okay. I need to have that thing in order to be happy. And so that's our habitual response to greed. And so understanding that the mind is affected by greed is simply, is, is, not, is not following that movement, but the awareness of greed is arising right now. This is what it feels like to be a human being experiencing 
wanting this to be mine. So that's a different perspective. Another piece about that um, that's important to highlight here is that it is possible for us to be aware of a mind affected by these reactive tendencies. That, it, that, that the, the mind can know without following it, it can be aware of that experience. Of this is what it's like to feel like I'm being pulled towards something. This is what it's like to have this resistance. This is the experience of, of resistance, often you know, felt physically, can be felt physically. We feel that kind of pulling back or retreating from something when there's aversion. And so that, that the mind can understand that, can know that. Sometimes, sometimes people, um, um, their teachings are understood. There's a, there's a kind of a teaching in... Um, in the Buddhist psychology that uh, in a moment when mindfulness is present, wise mindfulness is present, there will not be greed, aversion, or delusion present. And so, so sometimes that is, that is taught from the perspective of Buddhist psychology. And, um, but what you need to understand in, that, in the Buddhist psychology um, uh, teaching is that moment, a moment of mindfulness um, that's arising that does not contain a moment of uh, um, aversion, you know, that understanding they can't simultaneously exist. That mind moment is so vanishingly small. It said there are something like 17 trillion in the blink of an eye. And so in one blink of an eye, 17 trillion mind moments, maybe half of them are mindful and half of them have aversion. The experience there is it feels like we know it together. And so we don't have to try to separate all those mind moments out. The Buddha didn't actually speak about mind moments in this way. He talked about understand a mind affected by greed is a mind affected by greed. So in the sutta, uh, realm and the, the teachings that the Buddha offered. He speaks about being able to be aware of these reactive states of mind. There is a perspective. It's not being pulled into the reactive states of mind. It's not following them. It's knowing them and knowing how they affect us. And that effect you know, uh, kind of, I think I said this a few, a few minutes ago, that when we feel, yeah, I did, uh, when we feel greed, aversion arising in the mind and understand it as greed arising in the mind, we understand it as painful in that moment, as suffering. We feel the constriction around it. We feel the, 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 the rub with reality. You know, this is what's happening. I don't like reality. You know, so we, we, we feel that kind of, uh, kind of rub and that kind of denial of that's what's happening in, in, in experience. We don't like it. We want to change it. So it's like what's arising right now is what's arising right now. And the mind that comes into alignment with that, it's like, yep, this is what's arising right now. That mind can have more of the sense of ease, of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. 
um, in the first half of the sutta, there's another pair. It, 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 it speaks about the, um, there's four pairs of um, kind of contrasting qualities, let's say, in the first half of this section of the sutta on contemplation of mind. How does one abide contemplating mind as mind? One understands a mind affected by lust or greed as affected by greed, as unaffected by greed, as unaffected by greed. So that's the first pair. And then um, affected by aversion, not affected by aversion, affected by a delusion, not affected by delusion. The fourth pair in this first section is understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. Now, this one is interesting because the first three kind of point to um, opposites. You know, they're, they're, there's a whole, an unwholesome and a wholesome quality. Affected by greed, not affected by greed. Not affected by greed, kind of being, moving in the direction of the wholesomeness. So we might un understand the absence of greed. So that's an important thing to notice in this first section that we're noticing the presence or absence of unwholesome qualities in the mind. And in noticing the presence of, of unwholesome qualities, we feel the pain of that. In noticing the absence of unwholesome qualities, we feel the kind of spaciousness of that. This fourth pair, contracted and distracted, doesn't seem to have this kind of wholesome, unwholesome quality. The commentaries say these are both in the unwholesome realm. They're connected, the, the commentaries connect them to uh, the hindrances of sloth and torpor for contracted mind, the mind that just kind of sinks in and the uh, distracted mind to the restless mind, the mind that kind of has trouble in the landing on things. There are different perspectives on that, but. But um, uh, I think Bikwanalio is the main one who points out that perhaps those could be understood as contrasting opposites, that maybe contracted mind actually refers to concentration and distracted mind refers to not concentration. Maybe, um, you know, concentrated and not concentrated are discussed later in the sutta. So, um, um, but in any case, what I have found personally is this pair of contracted and distracted is a really useful kind of simple um, way to touch into how the mind is in relationship to something. Is it kind of wrapped internally when it's, when it's in relationship in a way that's, that's kind of a struggle? You know, sometimes we might know that the mind is kind of wrapped internally, but not be so clear whether it's aversion or greed or delusion. Just that's kind of sense of, you know, pulled in. Or sometimes we have a sense of the mind jumping all over the place, like trying to organize the world, that kind of distracted quality, that the quality of the mind being very jumpy and um, that restless quality, basically. Um, you know, that that, for me, that kind of noticing of those is a very simple way to kind of remember, oh yeah, the mind is in this kind of, is in a kind of a reactive state. It's either kind of pulled inward, so contracted, or it's kind of um, scattered outwardly, it's distracted. That has been a really helpful tool in my own practice. And I add for myself, I add the kind of the opposite. It's like, well, it's not contracted right now. 
Is it not contracted, meaning it's scattered? Well, no, maybe it's neither contracted or scattered. And there is that spaciousness, that landing with experience. So that's a, that, I find that one to be an interesting one experientially to explore, you know, what does it mean for you if the mind feels contracted or you know, that quality of being pulled inward? kind of putting up the wall, the, 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 the barrier between yourself and the world? Or is it kind of like out there trying to arrange the world so that it's okay, you know, to be me in this body right now? Um, you know, that kind of jumpiness. So those are, those are some really useful uh, tools to explore. Um, so I'll just mention a little bit about the second half, and we'll go into that a little bit more detail some weeks from now, it may be, you know, um, uh, the second part of the sutta really kind of talks about uh, being aware more of wholesome qualities and the absence of some wholesome qualities. And the, the lens is more focused on concentration and insight in my understanding. The language is a little different. The language is, a, is, is unfamiliar to us, perhaps, the, 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 the pairs of opposites that are used except for perhaps concentration. Um, the translation says, one understands exalted mind is exalted mind and unexalted mind is unexalted mind. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, when I first read this, like, got no clue, you know, what does that mean? Surpassed mind is surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind is unsurpassed mind. Concentrated mind is concentrated, unconcentrated is unconcentrated and liberated mind is liberated mind and unliberated mind is unliberated mind. So the commentaries give us a little bit of help here and we'll go into this a little more in, in, a, in a few weeks, but that the first couple of, or the first three, um, well, the first one in particular, I think is, is kind of referring to a states, different, different states of concentration, exalted mind, perhaps being the mind that's a, that, that is in that state of jhana, you know, that state of deep concentration. So kind of a, a movement into that area uh, that the mind is really secluded from um, reactivity, not forever, but for the moment. So understanding that the mind is in that place. Um, surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind um, um, that one to me, you know, that one, um, sometimes they speak about that being sense sphere consciousness or formless consciousness. You know, that's one way the, 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 the uh, suttas speak of the commentaries speak about it, that are we in a kind of a normal everyday ordinary sense of awareness of experience in our sense, sense body, or is the mind in a state of the, what are called sometimes the formless states, the, the states of mind where the mind is absorbed into um, um, states of awareness solely of space or consciousness or um, um, vast uh, vastness without being connected to the sense sphere. So there's a, those are sometimes called the formless jhanas that I've not experienced those except in you know, brief moments uh, sometimes the mind can drop into those through um, mindfulness practice. Um, that's how I've experienced them occasionally. Um, so that, but they can be cultivated through deep concentration practice. 
and kind of entered into more reliably for people who have that facility. Um, but they are some, these, these formalist states are, um, are simply states of mind that can be known and occasionally through um, continuity of awareness, uh, one can kind of notice them for moments at a time. That's been my experience in those, in that, in that realm. Um, and so these, these, um, the second set is kind of, we could say the takeaway maybe is um, um, noticing that the mind has entered into wholesome states and then noticing, you know, the absence of them. Noticing when the mind is in a state of insight, the, um, uh, the liberated mind and the unliberated mind is said to be not, not full liberation, but just the mind absent of the, um, or the mind in a space of um, freedom for a moment, either through concentration or insight. So these, um, these last four are, again, a kind of about noticing whether the mind is in a space of uh, more freedom, concentration, seclusion from reactivity, or not. And again, now uh, we can go into this in more depth in 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 a few weeks. This is kind of a, a complex uh, section of the sutta. Um, let's see, there was one other piece I thought of bringing in, but it's fallen out of my mind right now. It'll come back sometime. <laughs> um, and then the the last piece is that, um, as with all the um, instructions, every single meditation instruction in this sutta has a section on um, kind of uh, pointing to that this contemplation can be done in our own experience or in kind of contemplating others. So we might also, you know, the internal external contemplation uh, can be um, interesting, I think, with this. Now, it does have to be inferential in the, in the realm of of um, awareness of mind. We can't directly know what somebody else's mind is doing, but there's a way that there may be, I mean, when somebody is yelling us and their face is contorted in anger, often we feel that, you know, there's a kind of a resonance. So that, that, um, that we can be aware that anger is arising externally, that anger is arising in that being. Um, sometimes, and you may have noticed this sometimes, uh, I find this happens for me on retreat where I may be, you know, be, um, doing some, um, walking meditation and I see somebody else doing walking meditation. And it's like, I feel their mind state, the, the kind of the quality of continuity of mindfulness that's apparent in, or seems to be apparent, you know, I, I don't know, you know, but the, there is a way in which not only are states of greed, uh, you know, and anger kind of contagious, but states of continuity of mindfulness can also be contagious, you know, that we can be aware of, of how somebody, how somebody else seems to be. Um, so the, the internal and external contemplation encourages us to, to not only be aware of our own experience, but aware of the experience of others. And we're also encouraged to be aware of how these states arise and pass away, the impermanent nature of them, that it's not 
that when the state of aversion is arising, it's not forever. It is something that arises in dependence on condition and passes in dependence on conditions. And so there's this encouragement to um, kind of be uh, curious about um, a broader range of uh, things happening around these qualities in the mind. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of time for questions. I'll just say that I think that the area, the first area, uh, the, you know, the first half, the mind affected by greed, aversion, delusion, or not, and the contracted, distracted, I do want to go into that more in the coming weeks. So there'll be, we'll, we'll have more time to discuss that in the coming weeks. Um, um, but yeah, just let's open it up for, uh, for comments or questions or clarifications or whatever. whatever. And you're welcome to unmute yourselves. Yeah, Jan. Um. You know, you've been talking about this being aware, are we in a state of greed or aversion or delusion? And um, how would we practice that on, in an ongoing basis in our daily lives? I mean, one, I mean, I've been asking this as I've been listening to you and, and um, the only thing that came to me today, I hadn't thought of anything prior was just, if there's any time I'm suffering, I could ask that. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's an so, excellent time to check. <laughs> but do you have any other suggestions? Because, you know, life just kind of goes by and we go through the day. And then yes. when I'm sitting, yes, I can notice, especially if I have body pains, that there's a version going on. And I can notice if I'm clinging to mind states, right? Yeah. But otherwise, I'm mostly focusing on letting go, right? And just being, and right. being in awareness. So um, any suggestions for daily life? So in outside of formal sitting, you mean? Right. Yeah. Um, so a, a couple. One is that um, this practice, it does take a little bit of kind of doing to remember how am I in relationship to experience? And so, you know, just whenever you think about it and, and sometimes having some cues is useful. So, you know, suffering's happening. Oh, let's check into how the mind is in relationship. If there's suffering happening, there is greed, aversion, or delusion going on in the mind. Right. No doubt. <laughs> so, so, you know, so, or contraction, distraction, you know, and again, that contraction, distraction piece, I found an easy one in, in daily life. You know, it's well, it's a sign of suffering too. Yeah, it's simpler in some way than is this greed? Is this aversion? It's like yeah. wrapped in crazy trying to figure things out. You know, so yeah. so sometimes I find that one easier in daily life. You know, that just simple, oh, contracted or distracted. And and again, remembering when you notice it, it's just like, oh yeah, contracted is happening, or yeah. or or scattered is happening. You don't have to try to fix it. But, you know, just that awareness can create a bigger space in which perhaps you're not being driven by that mind state 
um, and, and to do what it's asking us to do or to do what it's demanding us to do. You know, they have a kind of urgency to us, those reactive mind states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we can see them, sometimes that urgent feeling maybe gets a little bit of space. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on. The mind's kind of crazily trying to figure something out. Um, so so, so um, having, um, having some cues, you know, yes, I'm suffering. And then keeping it simple, I think, can be helpful in that time. It's like, okay, what, you know, what is, what, is, what is happening here? How is the mind in relationship to this? Um, and then... Um, I think too, another piece of it is the more you kind of orient in that way, the more natural it becomes, you know? So at first it does take a little bit of um, remembering, um, you know, like, oh, what is my relationship? You know, you kind of have to step back. And that is a feeling often. It's like often our minds is focused on something, you know, the object. And the feeling of checking the relationship is kind of a feeling of stepping back. And how am I <laughs> not focused on the object? How is the mind with this? So, so it's a kind of an opening quality. And so it, 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 um, the, as we get used to that, as we kind of get familiar with that experience of stepping back and noticing, it, it can become almost second nature. So in time, it gets much easier and like th- now I don't have to think about it as much anymore. It's, it's almost like it's, it's second nature as suffering arises. You, and often it is with suffering as suffering arises. Like, Oh yeah. <laughs> How am I with this? So, you know, having those cues is a great way to begin to make it more natural. So at first we do have to do it, but um, um, it does become easier over time. So there's a couple more places or, or, cues that I find useful. Um, When I teach this on retreat, I often say there's three good times to check. You know, it's like from time to time, it's useful to check the attitude, but there's three kind of really useful times. Um, When you're suffering is the first one. Um, When you think it's going really well, you know, if you notice that there's a lot of happiness going on. If you notice that the mind is just like floating through life, you know, check the relationship. It might be that there's some subtle greed there, you know, that there's some subtle like, oh yeah, I want to make this continue or, oh, I'm doing it right or figured it out or something like that. So there could be some greed or delusion embedded in that. Um, or, and we could say, and um, also a possibility is that there isn't some reactivity, there's some subtle greed there. And the, what's being missed is the recognition. This is the experience of happiness. This is the experience of non-greed. This is the experience of non-delusion. You know, that, so, so, you know, so when it's going well is actually an opportunity and, you know, plenty of times when I've noticed that it's going well, I've seen that subtle kind of holding on or fear that it's going to go away if I just become mindful of it or something like that. But many times as I become aware of this, it's like, oh yeah, the mind is at ease right now. That's wholesome. So it, it opens us to that part too. So noticing the attitude of mind is not just about noticing the greed, aversion, and delusion. It's also about noticing the non-greed, the non-aversion, the non-delusion, the state of 
of of ease, of peace, of of spaciousness, of non-contractedness, of non-scatteredness. So that's another one is that that kind of notice when it feels like it's going well. Um, you know, sometimes that one is actually harder to remember to check in with because we get hooked into that, you know, or or it's like the mind just thinks, don't need to worry about this. You know, it's like it doesn't really think about connecting with can I be aware of this state? It's kind of floating in it. And that's a subtle kind of delusion in a way, that it's a subtle non-awareness of even the wholesome. Um, so that's the second one. The third one, and this maybe is more is easier in sitting meditation, but can be used in daily life practice at times. Um, when you return from being lost in thought, when the mind comes back from having been absent from mindfulness, can be a really useful place to check in. Okay, how is the mind right now in relationship to what's happening? Because there's a lot that goes on when the mind wanders. Um, you know, if the mind wanders off into some, you know, reactive pattern or, you know, some thinking about the past, you know, um, it, remembering some conversation we had with somebody where there was some tension in that conversation, you know, whatever's happening there as the mind is lost, those, that, those thoughts are active constructors of what we are experiencing while we're lost. And um, it doesn't just disappear when the mindfulness returns, you know, so as the, the mind lost in that argument or that tension with that person, as it comes back, that tension is likely to be there. And so to, as we return from being lost in thought to be kind of curious and, and all, I'm going to step back for a second. You know, so, and often when we, uh, when one of those kind of um, thoughts kind of constructs something, when we return from mindfulness, if we're like letting go of that thought, we be, we're not necessarily aware that it has shaped this attitude in the back of the mind of tension or, or reactivity. And then that gets applied to whatever we're experiencing. So, so that's another time that can be really useful to, to check in. But mostly I'd say it, it, it is something that um, you have to work with it you know, consciously work with it at first. And then it does begin to get more, more natural and doing it in the sitting practice. And in the sitting practice, I'd say the same things apply, you know, when you're suffering, when it's going well, when the mindfulness returns, when the mind returns from wandering, those are three great times to, to use this tool to check the relationship. You can also just occasionally check you know, like if, if, and at the beginning, at the beginning that, that can be useful too. They just occasionally like, I don't know, every, every few minutes just, and, and this may be a little bit of an intention at the beginning of a sitting, you know, may I remember every few minutes to check how I am in relationship. You know, it's, 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 it's 